everyone. Welcome to Kasamahan Ko, previously known as the Reclaiming Philippinex podcast show. Today, I'm so excited to not only introduce our four guests for season six. Creative, archivist, and courageous, we have Nariza Saladino from Big Island of Hawaii, who is a recent graduate at the Columbia University studying social cultural anthropology and ethnicity and race studies on the Asian American track. Her work is founded on community values and archiving the oral history of Filipino AX youth. Coming from the Big Island of Hawaii to New York City, she found her East Coast home through Liga Filipina and Fine INC. She currently serves as a District 3 National Director, as also a social media intern for the Philippinex Literacy Magazine, Marias at Sampaguitas, and a marketing intern for Start Small Think Big, which empowers and supports small businesses. In 2016, she became a leadership enterprise for a diverse America Cohort 12 scholar, where she has cultivated friendship with other first-generation low-income students. On the side, she loves devouring desserts, photography, vibing to music, and watching films. Let me ask you this. In the recent episode we heard about, we we knew how it felt for moving from Oahu to East Coast, specifically in a predominantly white area, where around you barely saw any Filipinos. But today, let me ask you this. How do you navigate such species then? Especially if you're in an area like New York City, where you have no relatives nearby, and you are the first in your family to move out in a different state. And your family is also an immigrant. How do you navigate and find the space to branch out? Well, this is why this narrative is a great one to hear. We hear... How a small town girl from the island of Big Island who went out and be- who went out beyond the reef to the Big Apple like NYC. <laughs> Join me as we hear her oral narrative and history on Kasamahan Ko. Amazing. I'm so happy to be here. Hello. My name is Narisa Saladino. Um, my pronouns are she, her, hers. I am currently a now graduate at Columbia University. There I double majored in anthropology and ethnicity and race studies. Ooh, if I had to describe myself as a Filipino dish, this is a good question. Um, I want to say like something that reminds me of home is what my parents cook the best, I personally think. Um, and it's like my mom's a Roscaldo. One, because there's rice and rice is like the foundation of any good Filipino dish. And then two, it's the best thing that you can get when you're feeling sick. Um, you just want the warmth of like a Filipino soup. Um, so it's very reliable. And I think that describes me well. Um, and it has ginger in it, which makes it sweet. And I love anything that's sweet. <laughs> so I just wanted to a little bit like, do a little comment about like the dish you chose and I feel like that's kind of perfect to describe who you are because from just hearing what you told me and like our previous conversation off the mic 
you like when I see a Roscaldo, I feel like the first thing I would see is like, oh, it's Marisa because you're sweet, you're everyone's comfort friend, and like you are. I feel like you're always there to just comfort everyone that you meet, like your friend, your family, and yeah. <laughs> I with just like listening to your background story, I can sense like you really grew up with nature a lot. Especially, your dad brings you to the mountains, um, watching the watching so many different aspects of where you are from, and I guess part of our kind of coming of age story is our relation with the land itself, and I feel like that's a sense of value for you, especially because Big Island is very home-like in terms of like yeah. environment. I definitely agree with that. An appreciation for the land back home is something I hold really close to my heart. Growing up in Kau, that is very much like farmland, very small town, country vibes, <laughs> and then moving to Mountain View is a little different. And then like being in Hilo, that was like more town. That's the closest to city I ever got back home on the Big Island. Also in Mountain View, I live like twenty minutes away from the volcano. So growing up, I had like access to go on hikes. My older siblings loved. Doing like camping trips to the beach, so we do that in like South Point or wherever else that they could find on the west side to just go beach, have a barbecue, just be in nature. And I'm really thankful that I had those experiences growing up because now I live in New York City, which is very different in terms of like what land is and how I view it here. And I'm just really glad that I got to grow up in such a beautiful place. Not only that, like I respect land more because I think when things start to become like gentrified, or more people are there who don't realize the importance of the land, that's something that kind of rubs me the wrong way because there's so much more than just like visiting a place、um, and taking advantage of it. It's kind of like what are you doing to give back, or like if you're gonna leave it, or if you're gonna visit it, leave it better than how you first found it, or just don't touch it at all. Very. Connected to back home and nature, and it's something that grounds me. I love how、me. you kind of ended it with I love it、um, with the sense of grounding because my next question for you is how do you see yourself with your cultural identity? That is a good question. Because growing up, I never really thought that much about Fil- being Filipino and like all of the intricacies of what it means to be、um, this ethnicity. I didn't really think much of it until the latter half of high school. And throughout college, it was just something I grew up around a lot of Filipinos. Where I lived in Ala, who like a lot of them were also macadamia nut farm laborers. And then of course, when my mom became an like a CNA, more Filipinos in nursing, <laughs> and so everyone on the Big Island, I didn't feel like out of place because I was Filipino. With that being said, my parents didn't make me do anything very like Filipino culture, like whether that was dancing or singing. They Never forced me to do anything like that. They're kind of just like, oh, focus on school, do your best, and we'd have like Filipino parties because of the big Filipino communities. So many of them were like my godmothers, godfathers, godbrothers, and sisters. It was just very community based, and I just always saw everyone was just like, oh yeah, like we're family, and that was what I thought about my cultural identity was back home. Now, like. In New York City, where cultural identity is almost like a definer of who you are, now I feel like it's a big part of who I am and how I would describe myself. 
I've gotten to know more about like Filipino history and Filipino American history and even like pre-colonial quote-unquote Philippines history. I kind of went from not knowing really anything about it and only seeing what my personal experiences were to being contextualized with all of the history that had happened before my family um, and the relationship between like the Philippines and the United States. And I always saw myself as someone who's like, oh, I'm the American born out of my family. And I think because I had eight siblings, it felt so much like that was the definer of who I was, where I grew up and how different that was from my sibling. But now it's like, I see my Filipino identity and I wanted to explore it through academics. It's something that I ended up kind of focusing my thesis on in the future. And then later on, I before I focused it on academics, I went through like the whole process of like joining a Filipino club and then having an amazing experience with that and then going off to do like bigger Filipino community um nonprofit positions in like Filipino inter- intercollegiate networking dialogue incorporated um and that connected me with more like East Coast Filipinos. And I realized how different it was for their experience of cultural identity was for them. For so many of my friends, they never really had the same connection I had with growing up in like a predominantly like Filipino community. And it just turned into like discussions of like, oh, how do you see yourself? And at first I was kind of like, I never really thought myself as different until I came to New York City, came to Colombia, realized there are not many Filipinos here at all anymore. And so I had to find family with the very small amount of Filipinos who were here. And I'm really grateful for that because it gave me another sense of home. And I didn't realize that I needed that so bad <laughs> when I left. I think it's definitely brought in my perspective on what the Filipino diaspora is and how I, myself, and other people are trying to navigate such spaces. I definitely embrace my cultural identity more now that I've been headfirst dive deep into like <laughs> working with Filipino or and like getting to research about it and just learning so much more about other people in the community who have been putting out events or putting out information or just like wanting to connect with the larger community and I never realized how important that was for me and now it's a huge part of my life. I, I just wanted to say like when you were speaking like I think it's, I I just couldn't stop nodding because what you said is really valid and like, I'm really glad that I was able to just take the time to talk stories and hear your perspective and your story because I feel like um, a lot of um, Filipinos in Hawaii, they don't know how it feels like to be Filipino, especially because you're surrounded all your, all your life, so you don't really see that um, kind of difference unless you are in a room with all white community and you're just you're 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 there to think about like, okay, what really am I? And I guess that's a question that we're always being asked when if we're in those spaces. And I feel like another question that we always ask is, who are we if the space in is with 
the Asian community and the Pacific Islander. Like, I feel like that's another, like, sense of, like, question that we ask, we put ourselves because, oh, we have the same cultures as this and this, but what makes us so distinct or authentic is, like, the, the question that we are, I feel like we are now asking ourselves when we're defining our ethnicity. And you truly, um, you said it, or you said you said it when you were when you were sharing how how do you see yourself but if you wanted to like add on and like do it yeah I definitely I do see that um because I never really thought about like being Filipino in that way it was mostly like like I said like my siblings were they immigrated from the Philippines. They had to transition into a totally new place. They had to learn English and they kind of, they just sacrificed so much coming to the States. And for me, I was just like, I grew up watching American TV and like, I, I already knew what life was like. I feel like I grew up way more like Hawaii local <laughs> than my siblings just because that just because they had like the Philippines, part of their upbringing was in the Philippines already. Um, and I felt like, I guess in some way, like I was really insecure about my Filipino cultural identity growing up because I framed it so much around my family with them. It was like, they could speak Ilocano, they could switch between Ilocano, Tagalog, and for some of my siblings, even Bisaya. Um, and I can't, <laughs> I can only understand them. Um, and in college, like I ended up like taking some classes in Tagalog just so I could have like some semblance of holding a more conversational type of discussion with maybe like my grandma, who's <laughs> the only grandparent I have left back in the Philippines. Um, so that's why I always thought of it like through my family. And then coming to college, I realized other people didn't even have the chance at all to be surrounded by a Filipino community um, like the ones I had growing up. Or they had parents who were already like generations ahead who didn't have the connection um, being right into the like being immigrated here. Um, so I realized like how thankful I was to have had that experience even though growing up, I didn't realize, like, that was already so much of a privilege, like, having that connection. Um, does that ask you a question? I feel like um, it's just very different to now that I see the differences in my own upbringing. Um, and I feel like I'm more thankful to it now, even though I do see, like, my experience is so valid and also, like, the people who didn't have the same experience as me there's is also so valid um it's broadened my like perspective on just what it means to be Filipino um having a strong cultural identity um and kind of like the willingness to be a part of it if you wanted to explore that that's something I realized I needed because no one could really give it to me growing up I was kind of just like figuring out what it meant to be like a Filipino in America back home and now I'm like okay what does Filipino mean in like academia in the place where like 
not a lot of Filipinos are represented. But yeah, in the same way, like I'm learning so much alongside other people who want to learn more about their cultural identity. And it's interesting to hear what everyone has to say and listen to their stories too, because they can be very different from mine, but I still learn from them so much. It was kind of like a, a little comment that I had when you were speaking, because like I feel like what you shared about your growing up upbringing especially helped with you being the firstborn here in Hawaii and the rest are in the Philippines. Like There is a whole lot of difference, especially with how they kind of think, like your siblings may see certain ways and you may see certain ways, but I feel like that kind of makes things, like makes the relationship like strong is that finding our key differences and kind of coincides with each other. And I know you mentioned a lot about what you struggle with, uh, but if you wanted to also uh, elaborate of person of being or person what in what else you have personally struggled with embracing your identity especially as a Filipino here in Hawaii. So I did talk about it a little bit earlier about with language that was such a barrier between me um, and my family back home in the Philippines for my siblings my parents, like everyone, it was seamless for them to transition into talking to any of the languages, um, to communicate with our family. And all I really could say was hi and wave. <laughs> um, and when people asked me, I was always just like, nah, it's just only a little bit, you know, like common manners, those kinds of things. Um, and I would say that in English. So it's just like, ah, I really wish that was something I wish I had growing up. Um, like the same language capacity my siblings had um and then I guess like coming into college and taking like a formal Tagalog class um I remember having to like interview my mom for some for like some assignment one time and I felt so awkward (laughs) talking to her because I realized it was so choppy compared to what I usually hear when my family speaks it um and I was like why didn't you guys ever teach me it um and she didn't really have an answer I think it was a mixture of me being the youngest so they're kind of just like eh do whatever and then also like I was in America so for them as parents being older on the older side it was like how do you raise a kid somewhere you are also still trying to navigate yourself being an immigrant here um and I think like when I was younger I might have been like a little like bitter about it because it was like why did you guys teach me like I wish I knew then I could be like on the same level as everyone else um in the family uh but now I realize there's way more nuance to that and how hard it must have been to just like live here in the first place. that's okay and I'm just figuring it out myself <laughs> other things that I struggle with with language I feel like that's such the biggest barrier because my siblings immigrated here too with my family with my parents they all had to go through like the ELL process which is English language learners like I said because they were like fluent in all the Filipino languages and then I we went to like the same elementary school elementary to intermediate 
And so when I started school, they all knew my older siblings and they're like, oh, you're a Saladino kid. And they would like attribute me to my older siblings. And it wasn't just like personality things or like being a good student or being a naughty student like my brothers. (laughs) I'm just kidding. (laughs) I love them. But they, it was like, it was that. But also they were like, oh, because she's a Saladino kid, like she probably can't speak English that well. So they put me in ELL too. And I was in ELL until, like, second grade until they realized, like, oh, you can actually, like, speak English decently. Like, you're fine. And I was like, yeah. I don't know. I wasn't here for, like, until second grade. So I was there. And at the time, I kind of liked ELL, one, because I, like, got to leave class. So I, you know, as a, like, seven-year-old, you feel special getting to leave class. But looking back at it, I'm like, why did I even have to leave class? Like, I knew <laughs> I knew my vocab words. It was fine. But that was just, like, something that I struggled with as, like, a little kid. And then I think, like, as I grew up, like, going to middle school and high school, I never really thought about, like, my Filipino-ness. So many of my friends were Filipino. I had, like, Filipino teachers growing up. My first grade teacher was Filipino, so it wasn't, like, new to me. So in that sense, it wasn't like a case of like representation or anything um, because I thankfully had that. It was like coming to New York City and then barely having that. It was like a severe, like none of that really exists. I had to actively seek it out. It wasn't like back home where it was like, oh yeah, I know so many Filipinos in like the school system. Now it's just like, I have to search it up and like, get recommendations of other Filipinos who are also limited to like my access to them um, just to like have that sense of belonging again um, so those are some of the struggles that I had very like language based I know when you were when I was listening I could hear like the sense of like I wish I really knew the language but when, when I heard your sense of like self-awareness and the way that you realize like all of this thing was because of what your family or what you hear and witness it's what they experience especially when it comes to our the discrimination that comes with not knowing english and like i think i guess wanting to bring it up is like when you were talking about like the esl i don't know why i didn't research it until now when you were speaking but the history of ESL really came down because of colonialization and it it really brings so much that it's because of, I guess, especially with how colonizers came to America to have everyone forcibly speak English and forget about our local language, it kind of hurt a lot of a lot of people because I feel like like what you said language is like the the really key component to our self-expression and I feel like that is one thing that really that disconnected everyone is their inability to have that kind of attainment of our and connection with our language because language is the self-expression of and of everyone, especially those who can speak multiple. Mm-hmm. You put that so beautifully. 
language as a way that connects all of us. And I think that's something that I always like, saw my siblings. They could be able to do that. And I, I just struggled so much with it because <laughs> I just couldn't. Um, even, I remember, <laughs> this is such a funny story <laughs> because I realized like, oh my God, why did I say that as a kid? Um, I was probably like eight years old. That was the last time I was in the Philippines. But we visited my mom's family and someone asked me like oh who am I as part of the family like we're just like at a random sorry sorry store on the side of the street and then I was like oh I'm the buntis of the family but that means like I was the pregnant one but I was like eight years old so then I was like they were looking at me like the what and I was like of the buntis but I actually meant bunso to be like the younger the youngest one and so like little things like that I just remember and I like kind of cringe at the <laughs> like if I just knew the language like that would not have happened um but yeah with those kinds of things and then what you said about like ESL ELL like I never knew that um definitely like colonialism like ruined so much and I feel like in Hawaii that's I'm way more aware of it um just getting to be in like such a rich place of all of those cultures um but yeah it is a little sad too how that's not like formalized in like the public schools um especially for like foreign languages I know my high school alma mater like they had Chinese they had sign language they had Spanish um but for a place that so many Filipinos are from we didn't have like Ilocano or Tagalog classes um for me from where I live is Ilocano language so it's just like why don't we have that we have so much there and we couldn't even implement that into the schools and where these people live so that's definitely a problem and I wish that they had that I think I think that's so cute and like I feel like that's the thing about like us when we're little kids is like we say the most like cutest things and then when we look up when we look at it now like we can't help but laugh but like that's honestly the pinnacle point of like i don't know when you said that i was like that's so cute because <laughs> I, I already knew what you was what you were gonna say but then like but then i i i, I sent it like if I was like, was just like, oh, ang cute ng anak mo. I feel like that's what being said because like, not because like, what is that term? It's like blanking up, but like that's why they define children as very innocent because they don't know until they know. <laughs> yeah, I really thought I was doing something. <laughs> I was like, yeah, I know how to speak this language. Really, I didn't. I said like the worst thing I could probably say at like eight years old. <laughs> Oh my gosh. But um, I truly agree on that. Uh, when what you were mentioning that in, especially with how things are now, like it's really important to like go to the starting into like um, K to 12, especially implementing a lot of our ethnic studies curriculum because I feel like the more that they knew in that level, it will kind of guide them and help them so that they don't have to experience what we had experienced because I feel like that's tough and that's 
that's hard, especially because it plays a toll on our sense of um, self-actualization when we grow up. The next question is actually, what does reclaiming your Filipino ex-identity mean to you? The first, I think, is like maintaining the strong values that my parents have taught me. That includes like taking care of your family, kind and giving to others, to work hard, focus on your education. And those are things that have always been ingrained into who I am as a person. And that was just something growing up I knew it was always validated or also told to me so many times and showed to me in different examples. Like now in college, reclaiming my Filipinx identity is, like I said earlier, it's way more than that now. It's more than just like how I am connected to my family. It's also how am I connected to the broader community of Filipinos and learning like the history of like the Philippine American War or like the Marcos regime or even then like the Filipinos came here in Morro Bay and even before that like landing in Louisiana. Those are things I never learned about in general until college. And so now I am actively trying to learn more about those things and my reclaiming is through the process of learning, not only through like academia and learning all these histories, but also being involved in like Filipino organizations that help back home, help people here, whether that's like providing aid or having discussions with people my age about what our identity means, how we cultivate it as we grow up and just be more aware of who we are. I think there's like such a big importance with that just because for me it was something that I think has largely affected who I am today. It's not like I, I don't know, this is just, it's a hard question, but at the same time, it's an easy question. <laughs> like, reclaiming is not just like learning or reposting or watching the news about like Filipino human rights or like overseas Filipino workers here in the States or anywhere outside of the Philippines. It, because I know like those kinds of things can get overwhelming too part of that is like recognizing my privilege that I can say it's overwhelming and not actually having to live it reclaiming to me is like how can I like channel my energy better to help the community more not only in my own way but how I can like connect with other people who want the same things for our community and I yeah I think that's like my answer has always been in like a process that I'm not limiting it to if I say my answer now it's always going to be the answer I think it'll change over time as I get to know more um, about the history but even more than that like actively making history now trying to heal with our communities with what has already happened to us not only from like the effects of colonization but just just trying to be together in all those ways that reclaiming the Filipino, the Filipino identity can be. It's ever-changing, but the way I'm reclaiming it is through learning and just being a part of the community. Not only just like being a part of it, but being involved in it by helping and just getting to know more people in it um, because there's strength in our community no matter what we've experienced. Yeah, that... 
That is also so on point that I can't even, <laughs> I definitely agree. And I think I'm like almost speechless, but I do want to say like I, there's a lot of privilege in going to an institution like Columbia. And it's also very weird that I have learned all of these things at an institution like this, but like not everyone has access to that. And I grew up like, like a first generation college student also like a low-income college student that like the only oh sorry someone just sneezed bless you <laughs> um, like all of these things those are identities that I had growing up and I didn't realize until I got to college um but I I kind of lost my train of thought let me get back um I'm, there's so much privilege and like having access to higher education and all of these resources um, and learning about the histories. Um, but I do want to emphasize like not just everything that I've learned within like academia is what has formed my understanding and connection to Filipino cultural identity um, and reclaiming that so much of it, most of it, if not almost all of it um, beyond my academics is like, just being with the community in the Filipino orgs, going to people's events, um, getting to talk to them one-on-one, -on -one, just like hanging out, listening to, very similar to this, like how their upbringings were. Um, and that's like history in itself that you can't learn in the classroom. Everything's so broad. And like I said earlier, it's it gets overwhelming and, there's just so much pain that our community has experienced that I really cherish all of the like good conversations of, well, all of them are good conversations, but like the positive ones where we're just kind of in the presence of each other and listening to one another. Um, and there's so much value in that for me and I, hope for the other people listening in too and that's something that like academia could never touch like it could never ever do that yeah I just definitely agree with what you said it's really so special you know to be a part of such a community that cherishes that that will be there for each other and it just means a lot so much to who I am and to the people I care about too in the same community so transition is where do you see yourself in the next 10 years? This is funny because I just graduated and so I'm getting that question of like, what's next? And I'm just like, I don't know. Today I went to get an acai bowl. Like I don't, I didn't plan that until I woke up. I, let's see, 10 years. Right now I'm 21. So in 10 years I'll be 31. I don't have a set plan with everything that I want to do with my life. Um, because I realized, like, before anthropology and ethnic studies, I actually wanted to, like, be an aerospace engineer and work for NASA. Um, and that, for the majority of my life, that's what I wanted to do. Um, and then I got to college and everything changed, and now here I am. So I realized when I changed that my first year at college that I, I can't plan out my life. Um, no matter how long I've been dreaming about something, anything could come up. And I'm the type of person where if there's an opportunity and it's just in your gut, you feel like that's 
what you want to do like I'm gonna I'm gonna do that if it feels right um but that being said though I hopefully will be well traveled maybe um I I moved from the big island to New York City so in between any of that I would love to visit um I think eventually I do want to live in Southeast Asia um maybe Singapore, maybe the Philippines. I just really want to go back, see my grandma, <laughs> since I she's my only grandparent living, and I just, you know, want to see her within these next 10 years um, and just be with her again. Um, and then, I don't know about, like, settling down, having kids. <laughs> my family's already big. My my yeah I have like my mom counted the other day and we have like 21 nieces and nephews so I don't know if I need to add to that like my my siblings got it you know (laughs) but at the same time I do like kids so anything could happen if I do end up having kids I hope I don't have more than three um that would be fun but also i want to do so many things with my life um on my own uh in 10 years i hope that i still have like the very strong relationships that i have within my family to my siblings to my like nieces and nephews um because at that time they'll also be like they're sort of I'm more like around the age of my nieces and nephews actually (laughs) which is kind of funny but that's just how life is um so I hope like I'm so close with them I hope I in some ways I want to be that like cool auntie that's like or the cool auntie that's just like oh yeah she's my everywhere or if you want something like you don't want to spend money on it like auntie Nerisa got you (laughs) you know I want to be that auntie um yeah so even though like physically I want to be all over the place I still want to stay connected to the people that I love um as far as like jobs and careers go I just hope I'm doing something that's not only got me in like a financially stable position um but something that's impactful for myself and for whatever I'm doing in the moment. Um, we'll see how it goes. I want to do so many things. Um, right now, it's like, at some point in time, like it was like being an engineer. But now it's like digital marketing or like uh, working still in this like nonprofits that I care about within like education or like yeah there's a lot of things that I could say about like diversity and inclusion affairs but (laughs) um sort of that and like just being in community with people whatever it is I want to make memories um that'll last for a lifetime and when I'm old and wrinkly I want to be in my bed just like yeah I had a good life um yeah so in 10 years I hope future Nariza, I hope she's doing well. I hope that she's, she's killing it wherever she is in the world.
I hope that she's been to a lot of places. I hope she is not experiencing the pandemic. Um, yeah, this is a fun question. <laughs> but it's also like, oh no, in 10 years, I actually have to like do something. <laughs> like, what am I going to do? I don't know. Um, very open to so many things. Um, and for some people, I feel like that might be kind of scary. But I'm excited by it, you know? There are so many possibilities, and I don't want to just stick to one thing. And to be open to so many opportunities that I don't even know of yet, I, I'm i just very happy to have that option. Um, we'll see where life takes me. I just hope I'm happy or on my way to like, do something it's super going cool. For you, it's going to so. be wild. And honestly, like I already have so many things. Like When you were talking, like... I can feel that you are gonna just continue touching the lives of other people around you and like that's where I'm just gonna kind of end with that question because like it's a it's a fun question to ask but it's also a really tricky question to answer because we truly don't know what can happen in the in the spar of 10 years because who knew that we were being a pandemic like last year no one knew unless you are some sort of like psychic then <laughs> or if um the simpsons predicted it <laughs> yeah i don't know they just be writing stuff and i'm like how <laughs> how'd you get <laughs> what <laughs> this is actually going to be an impromptu question because just listening to you and trying to fit into your narrative is especially being the youngest out of eight siblings and you're the only one born in Hawaii and they're born in the Philippines. My question for you is if you can have a conversation with your siblings about your coming of age story, what would you tell them? Ooh, what would I tell them? This is a really good question that I've never been asked in my life. So I'm like, I have no idea what I would tell them. Um, because growing up, I feel like they relationship was very like they were almost like my second parents. Um, a lot of people when I would, when I was like really young, maybe like a kindergartner or whatever, my like sisters would take me out. Um, and people would think that I, oh, there goes a car. Sorry. So my sisters would take me out, and people would think that I was their daughter. Um. So in some ways, they're like my second mothers. Um, not so much my brothers. They were kind of doing their own thing. But, you know, it's like the sisterly bond. So <laughs> I think <sighs> coming of age, I guess I would tell them a lot about what I learned in college when I was by myself. Um, a big reason why I moved away, even though I loved home, I loved my family and where I came from and will always appreciate that. Um, I'm also still a very independent person and I think I kind of separated that. Um, I always separated like home and my academics. Um, and one part of it is because it's kind of hard to explain like the college process when you're a first gen college student. Um, and then another part of it is just like 
I don't really know how to explain <laughs> what it means like to have moved across the country by myself. Um, I think like four years ago, like I wrote a post saying like, oh, my family moved across the world. Um, and so in some way, this was my own moving across the world. But the difference now that I realize is like they all had each other. Um, they all had each other to go through the process, you know, like grow up together, kind of, even though it's hard, they had each other, whatever struggles they were facing, they could probably relate to it. And then for me, I had a choice of like whether I wanted to move or not, um, but then I took it. And then my coming of age is like realizing, oh my God, I'm like doing this by myself. <laughs> And so if I had to tell my siblings, it would be like, what is it like moving across the world by myself, going through all of these things like college or whatever. I guess I also should say like my siblings had kids early. So what is it like just like getting to live my life? I look up to my siblings so much that as now that I'm getting older um, and kind of passing all the times, all the like ages where they became parents or they got married I kind of don't know who to look up to now if it is in my family but that's why I cherish a lot about the Filipinos that I'm a part of um, for people who are kind of showing me what I can't see um, showing me what's possible to like other mentors or alumni that I'm connected to that really inspires me and I want to tell them like the coming of age part like my difficult part was kind of just moving and experiencing college is like uh for me and being like a young adult in New York City which is also very different from on the big island so <laughs> that's one thing and then another part is just like letting them know that the little girl that they helped raise when they were also still really young um, is growing up and she's doing okay um, and I hope that they still, they know that I'm going to be okay. I think I talked to my brother about this, like, a long time ago, or my sister. I was like, yeah, I'm an adult now. Like, we can have real conversations. Because as a little kid, they, they were the types of siblings, like, oh, can you grab me this? Or can you go do that? And then I would just run around and, like, do what they say, because what else are you going to do <laughs> with your older siblings? But now it's like, oh yeah, what's rent? Can you like help me with this adult thing that I don't understand? Um, but just letting them know, like, you know, it's gonna be okay, and I am handling it now compared to I'm not just like their little sister anymore. Like I'm growing up, and so that's something I'd wanna say to them with my like coming of age story. <laughs> And I think that's really valuable to know. And if I were to ask if you could have this conversation with your ex, what if, how would you, <laughs> how would you tell them as well? I think I would approach it differently with my parents. I think with my siblings, like I've grown up to realize like we can have these conversations and I don't feel weird about it or they just like get it. And I'm really glad that I have that level of like intimacy with them. As for my parents, it's a little harder for me to 
explain all of these things like college in general was like kind of hard to explain they also didn't realize like what columbia was as a school they were kind of when i got in i was like so happy and crying and my dad was like oh you got into college and i was yeah i got into college (laughs) and because like no one from kl like ever went to a school like columbia before so i was kind of like oh my god i can't believe i did it um, but with my parents, it was just like, yay, she's going to, like, further her education. And that's what it was important. That humbled me so much. Um, and something I really appreciate from them. So how I would tell them, I wouldn't. I think for them, it's more, like, results-based. I have to kind of show them, like, oh, like, this is what it's like. Or here's my new place. Or here's, like something that I'm doing like my job looks like this um I think that's easier for them to like understand of like my own coming of age story um they actually they were here last week uh, for my graduation which they've never been to New York City before but I think for the past four years I've lived in like other dorms or whatever and you can only like tell so much from like a FaceTime call um But, like, seeing them in my apartment and just, like, existing with me. And I was, like, sleeping in the living room, but they were sleeping in my bed. And I'm, like, oh, my God, you're in my bed. Like, (laughs) those kinds of things. I think that makes them realize, like, oh, she's growing up, you know. Like, she has an apartment now. Like, she has to do all this adult stuff. Um, and that, like, signifies to them, like, oh, yeah, she's growing up. This is her coming of age. Uh, because I'm hitting all those, like, milestones now. Excuse me. <laughs> and I think, yeah, I'm just trying to think. Because I, like I said, my siblings, since there's so many of them, my parents, I think, just really view, like, their kids growing up the same way or, like, in similar ways. And I'm kind of like the random kid who like went off and did something completely different. Um, so for them, I just want to show them that I'm doing okay in all aspects of my life. Um, as for job stuff, they don't really understand like what I can do with like an anthropology and ethnicity and race studies degree, which is fine. Because I can also, I don't know what to answer <laughs> other than, like, you can do literally anything. But that's not an answer to them, you know? <laughs> like, it's like, what what is your job? And I'm like, um, I could have any job. And then that's kind of it. Because I'm, like, I'm also very open to things I don't know. <laughs> um, but when I finally get one, then they can be like, oh, that's what you do? Cool. Um, yeah. I know, like, I guess if I would frame it in a way, like, if our parents, because I know Filipino parents, like, it's hard to talk to them if it's not more so, like, you you did it already, because it's not about just show, it's also, it's not about tell, but it's about show, it's like, how are you, is this going to make money for you, kind of, like, aspect, which how their generation grew up in. And I think that is one one thing in our narrative, especially with involving our parents, is how do we now involve them into this conversation that can help guide us to know like we can do anything we set our mind to, which is 
incorporating all the values that we learn in our generation yeah. in terms of like generational differences they, generation so that i guess they're very traditional in the sense of like yeah go to school get your degree um get a job be financially secure and then like get married have kids um and so i can't really like describe how i'm gonna get there and like make these milestones once i do them and they see it happen um i think for them that's like validation of like okay she's she's doing okay <laughs> we did fine the last one she's gonna be good <laughs> like yeah so i hope i hope they see that yeah yeah And last but not least, um, if you were given the opportunity to just give a speech in a large crowd, like TED Talk, to the next generation, and the theme would be coming of age to the next generation, what would your advice be for them? I think this topic also change, changes for me um, as time like, goes on. Most recently, I think the most important thing I want to like use as a mantra for myself and something I would share to like a large crowd is one, keep an open mind, two, um, always be kind, and three, like good things will happen in due time. That kind of rhymes. That also rhymes. <laughs> but those things I wanna like hold. Like yeah. <laughs> Oh my goodness, I don't know why I did that. Anyways, um, I think those are super important things too. As I, I think I'm just in like my post grad feels. It's been like a couple days, but I'm still feeling it. Of like things will be okay, you know. Um, things don't always go to plan, but you'll figure it out. And you know, no matter what like successes and failures you come upon in your life like that's just a part of who you are as a person and take opportunities as they come and don't be like disappointed in yourself if you don't reach something that only means like something else is out there for you that will give you more value than you'd ever think in your entire life um and also with that, like, of course, like, I'd send best wishes to anyone who hears me say that. Um, I listen to, like, a lot of people who I look up to, whether that's, like, TED Talks or just, like, mentors or professors. Um, and I feel like I catch myself saying, like, oh, I wish I was that person. Um but for not just like one person like for so many people and i think who i want to be in the future who i'm trying to become like i hope i'm a little bit of all of the people that i admire and to a crowd i'd say like find those people that you admire and like take the parts of them that you love and you want to be um and figure out how figure out like how you can implement that into your life or make yourself happy um, by being those things or getting to do those things because it is possible. Um, whatever, 
however long it takes, whatever path you need to take in order to get to there. Um, when it happens, it all happens when it needs to be. Um, and to always like being in the community and into the community and to the people who are supporting you because when you face burnout, like they, they will be there to remind you like you are so incredible and you've gotten this far. You can still keep going. You're not on this alone because you have us. And that's something that pushes me forward and I'm really grateful for um, that I have people like that in my life to continue to cheer me on. Um, and of course, like I do that in a turn for them too because they mean a lot to me. And if you are constantly like looking back to make sure like the village who got you there, like you're feeding them too, like always give back. Um, whether that's like, I don't know, like they're just visiting or doing mentorship or like even along the way with new people you meet, like you can give back in that way and it'll just somehow life finds itself to like do the whole cycle again. That just means so much. Give as you go. Um, yeah, that's what I would say. <laughs> very, very well said. I have nothing else to add because you really summed it up really great. And I think to tie everything together with our conversation is that, like what you said, what you said to the next generation, I see that in you so much. And you and I really do mean everything that I said that I see so much going for you. And I feel like especially as the youngest, the bunso in your family. <laughs> no, I laugh when I say that because you're just talking. <laughs> it's okay. I also laugh. I cringe too, but it's fine. <laughs> Being the bunso in your family, you I can sense that your family, your your parents, your sister, your brothers are really, really proud to have a sister like you because you may be the black sheep of the family who went had a different route, but your route is going to be amazing. And I can just imagine um, in the future how when, especially when they have, when they're when, with their kids, they're going to be like, I want to be like Auntie Nariza. I want to be just like her. She's setting so much for us that your your sister, your brothers, they have a really good picture of who can they tell to tell stories to to their kids, and not setting an expectation, but you have so much to give, and I just want you to never forget that, like. What you were telling me, your story, it's very impactful and inspiring. And, I, and, and I'm trying not to make you cry as well. <laughs> That's part of the postcard phase. Uh, no, literally. I was crying all week last week. Now I'm about to cry again. <laughs> Bro, I cannot. Um, thank you so much. 
Those words mean a lot to me. <laughs> I know. I'm like in a, a vulnerable state right now. <laughs> but thank you so much. That seriously, that means a lot to me. And I, oh my god, now I'm actually gonna cry. But like with my nieces and nephews and stuff, I never, like you said, like it's not an expectation. Like I hope for them, like they can see what I do and just realize, like it's okay to be or do whatever you want for yourself. Um, even if it's different, even if it's like you don't really know how to get there or don't really know what to do, um, you'll figure it out. Um, if it means that much to you, like you'll figure it out. Um, yeah. Thank you so much. That that would just mean so much to me. Like, <laughs> that was so nice, Tati. Thank you. I loved being a part of this and like getting to hear. Uh, Thank you. <laughs> and honestly, like to add on to what you said to your niece and nephew is that it's okay if you don't know what you're doing or it's okay if you have to go away because with your experiences that you shared, you did it. That's your example. You did it. You didn't know what you were doing, but you did it with the help of your mentors and close community. And shout out to League of Filipina, all of the Colombia Filipino organization they really did their mission and part to continue to uplift our Filipinos around the world especially a big island girl from Hawaii <laughs> you did it that's what I can just say and to end it a little funner note and to just end it is what is your favorite Filipino phrase and word good of the day good one this is I'm going to say manganan, um, or in the way that I heard it growing up, it would always be like shouted out. It'd be like, manganan, um, which means just like, let's eat. Um, and that just reminds me of not only just my family with like our dinners at home, but also just like on the macadamia nut farms. It wasn't just like my family working. It'd be like all of our neighbors who also worked on the farm, but they would all like gather in one place because they're about to eat and to call them over when I was there I would already I would already be like at the place but I'd be so excited to join because that's when everyone got together and you're just sharing food and I strongly believe food is a love language so to hear those words hear that phrase it's like another reminder of community um and from and for myself it's like um where I came from so yeah Definitely <laughs> I think the best way to just end it, manganin, I feel because it brings that homebound family spirit. And even in like the Western Asian cultures, how to say I love you is have you eaten? And so I'm going to teach you how to say have you eaten in Ilocano. Okay. Yeah, I don't know like the formalities. I just hear it. <laughs> It, uh, have you eaten in Ilocano is nangankan? Nangankan? Nangankan. Nangankan. Oh. I like, love Have that. you eaten? Yeah, I've definitely been asked that question growing up. So to say it myself with you, it's just like, thank you for teaching me that too. Uh, I love that. So I have like no words. I'm just like, when you barely like hear Ilocano, and, uh, it's just like, Nice to hear it again. In Ilocano, 
Mm-hmm. And to add on is like to say thank you is agyamanak. Ayamanak. Agyamanak. Agyamanak. And then to say you're welcome is awan anyaman. Awan anyaman. But we don't we don't really hear awan anyaman a lot. We always hear agyamanak. But awan anyaman, you're welcome. Thank you. Thank you. That, and that kind of wraps and ties everything that we have talked about. And I feel like as I continue to grow this friendship and this connection with you, I can't wait to what's in store. I just have so much to just want to say thank you for being part of this narratives of stories of this collection of many Filipinos who are born in Hawaii to move to the continental states. It's it's the circle of life with our ancestors of how they immigrated here. So it's nice. It's really great and heartwarming to just hear from you all because your voices do matter to building and rebuilding this narrative. And with that said, I just wanted to ask you, you wanted to add on or share anything that you're doing that we can do to support you or the how our listeners can stay in contact with you if they have any wanting to like being connection with you, especially our East Coast Filipinos. Yeah, oh my goodness. Um could always connect with me on like social medias and like Instagram or professional social media like LinkedIn, just look up Nariza Saladino or Nariza. Um, and I should pop up. Um, recently I did my thesis, my senior thesis called Walking Histories of the Filipino AX Diaspora. That if you want to read what I wrote about, <laughs> it's on nss2169.wixsite.com dot com slash thesis um that's where i kind of do my own like interviewing with like intergenerational um differences um the modern minority myth as well as just like the aspirations of the diaspora so you can definitely check those out you can also just like hit me up on social media like i said earlier very open my dms are always open um, I'd love to have more conversations like this with more people. So, thank you. And thank you for listening to our podcast episode with Nariza Saladino. I would just like to add on, if you consider liking our podcast show, feel free to donate to our Venmo at Reclaiming Filipinex and this way it'll really help us with our future projects and speaking of future projects stay, save the date on June 17, 2021 next week Thursday we'll be officially launching our brand new name and our brand new logo so check it out also don't forget to visit us on our YouTube page which we have our Quentuhan videos where we talk about the taboo topics in our community specifically mental health and if you would like to be a part 
just send us an email and this will be provided in our show notes below and with that said follow us on our ig at reclaiming filipinx identity subscribe to our website which is at kasamahancollective.com and that said i am so thankful for y'all for listening and for our current listeners to continue to supporting us as well and with that said next week is going to be exciting not only because it's our new launch but our fit our fourth guest my bad is someone who i met this last year of the pandemic and we were both in the same space uh, which was the Filipino Mental Health Collective which is now Couple Health Collective she is someone who I really look up to and she, and not only that but this past two episodes we had two people from the east coast now we're gonna go back home to the west side of the continental US specifically NorCal of California and with that I just wanna give you guys a brief intro of who the guest will be so find out next week who will be that guest have a great day and have a great week stay safe and ingat mga kasamas